Choose out. Come in. Come in. Next Sunday when we uh, celebrate Easter, I want to finish this series up and uh, we have one more character, Jarius' daughter. If you don't know that story, look it up this week. Jarius' daughter. And I'd asked my daughter, Hannah, to do it live. So we have all these scripts that go with these videos and uh, she's agreed to do that, that monologue like that for us live next week. So you've been warned. Bring your tissues. You watch that video and then you go to John chapter 11 where this story is recorded. And the first verse starts off like this. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick. That's how it starts. Lazarus was sick. That's kind of like saying Michael Phelps is a pretty good swimmer. He's not a pretty good swimmer. He's, what, 23 gold medal good swimmer. And Lazarus wasn't just sick. He didn't just have a bellyache or a migraine or, uh, you know, some kind of cold. Lazarus was dying. And Mary and Martha knew it. Lazarus knew it. Lazarus knew that this this was like stage four emergency care, prepare for the worst size problem. I wonder if you've ever been there. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in John 11, 1, where life just kind of feels like it could collapse and you're standing toe-to-toe with some serious, really, really difficult problem. And you don't know how it's going to end up. I, I, wonder, I wonder how you handled that uncertainty. You have a difficult time in your life, we all do, and, and maybe, maybe you did what Mary and Martha did. Maybe you asked Jesus for help. If you haven't already jumped in with me to John chapter 11, grab your Bible, go to John 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, are identified in verse 1, but look what they do in verse 2. This is Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet, wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Yeah, we got that. Verse 3, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus, telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. I think the NIV translates it, the one you love. Sick. Why reach out to Jesus? Well, Because the situation is dire. What was happening with Lazarus was out of their control. And they knew that Jesus was the only one who could fix it. And in their mind, they thought, well, Jesus healed total strangers. Surely he can provide a miracle for someone that he loves. I wonder if you've ever felt that. I, w- I wonder if you can relate to that, that feeling of, uh, of facing a situation that is out of your control. I don't know what you did with those feelings, but maybe you did what Mary and Martha did. Maybe you prayed. Maybe you asked Jesus to come to the rescue and fix it. I've done that. I've been there. I've been 
in verse 1 in my life. I've prayed those desperate prayers. I can remember sitting in in a hospital chapel by myself praying desperately that God would would heal the the cancer, that He would remove the cancer from my mom's body. I can remember standing in a hospital room, embracing my wife, praying together that that God would would come to the rescue and and that He would would spare our daughter Faith as as her little body was, was crashing from lack of oxygen. I've prayed those desperate prayers. I imagine a lot of you have as well. Something I've noticed throughout my lifetime is this. I've noticed that even people that aren't even that interested in God, when, when their life gets turned upside down, I've noticed that they somehow at that moment seem to have an interest in prayer. It's interesting to me. I I get it. I understand why a person who believes in God, who has a personal relationship with Jesus, will pray and ask God for help to come to the rescue and fix this problem. But it's interesting to me that uh, it's also people that, for the most part, have no interest in God, no relationship with Jesus, and yet when life goes sideways, all of a sudden there's this interest in prayer. And I think what it reveals is this. There's some level of belief in prayer, that it will make a difference. Otherwise, why do it, right? For the believer, the unbeliever, why pray if you don't believe that it's going to make a difference? Kind of like this, you know, I'm, I'm told that essential oils can make a difference in a person's body. My wife believes that. My wife believes that essential oils uh, help her with her hormone issues. I told her I was going to say it before I said it, so you don't go running off and telling on me. She already knows I said it. My my sister believes in in the effectiveness of essential oils. She often will tell me, Mark, these uh, these essential oils can help you with all of your weird bowel problems, right? (laughs) Yeah, it just got personal. How about that? And that's fine. And I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's probably like a, an essential oil evangelist in the room right now that's like looking through their essential oil Bible and uh, I'm going to find the right oil for you and your attitude problem. Put it right in your eyes, what we're going to do with that. I'm having a little bit of fun, but... If a person doesn't believe in the effectiveness in essential oils, they're not going to do it, right? It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what book you show them. If they don't believe it, they're not going to rub oil on themselves. So there's some level of belief when it comes to prayer. Otherwise, why do it? Why pray if you don't believe on some level that it's going to make a difference? And yet, a lot of people do. They pray and they ask God, come to my rescue, come and fix this. Question I want you and I to wrestle with this morning is this: What happens when he doesn't fix it? The question I want you and I to wrestle with is: Will you still believe? Yeah, you believe 
enough to pray. You've got some level of belief to pray and ask God to come to your rescue and to fix the problem. But will you still believe when God doesn't do what you want him to do? Will you still believe then? We're going to wrestle with that together this morning. Will you still believe when God doesn't do what you want? I want to go back to the story with Lazarus in, in John chapter 11. If we go back here, we see Lazarus is sick. It's not really the best description. It's not just that he has a cold. He, he's dying. And we see that Mary and Martha in verse 3, they send word to Jesus. Jesus, we need you. Lazarus needs you. You love Lazarus. You need to come. You need to fix this. Verse 4, when Jesus heard about it, he said this, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two more days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Jesus loved them. That wasn't, that wasn't at question. He cared about them, but he had a reason for not coming. And I want you to notice that Jesus didn't send word back to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He didn't send a note or a message back saying why he wasn't coming. He didn't tell them why. And I think it brings up a question that you and I need to deal with, that we have to wrestle with. Will you still believe if God doesn't tell you why he didn't do what you wanted him to do? Will you still believe if you don't know why? The story goes on, if you go down to verse 11. Jesus said to the disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better soon. They interpreted what Jesus was describing as he's taking a nap, he's getting his rest. And they're like, Why would you go wake him up from his nap? He probably needs his rest. And so Jesus, Jesus finally says, uh, No, he's dead. Verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. The worst happened. The worst possible thing happened. He died. Verse 15, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. So they go. And verse 17 says they arrived at Bethany. Now he was told that Lazarus was already in the grave. What's it say? How many days? Four days. Four days. Why show up after four days? What did they want? They, they sent word while Lazarus was still breathing. What they wanted was Jesus to come to the rescue and to fix the problem, and he didn't. Why show up now, four days after he's in the grave? Would you, would you come... Did you come to offer your condolences? Did you come to offer 
comfort in our loss. That's not what we wanted. You ever, you ever needed help moving something that's really heavy? Or maybe there was like this big mess or this project and you, you could really use an extra pair of hands and a younger back, uh, but there's nobody around or whatever. And so you do it yourself and you struggle the whole time. And by the end of it, you know, your back is, is hurting and, and you're exhausted. And then someone shows up and you're like, well, you've got perfect timing. I needed you about four hours ago. Imagine that you or someone that you love needs emergency surgery for something. Well, what do you want? You, you don't want the surgeon to say, sorry, can't come do the surgery. I've got a tea time that I can't break. I'm going to go golfing. The surgeon goes golfing, but then shows up to the funeral to offer condolences and sympathies. That's not what we needed from you. It's not what we wanted from you. And I imagine this is, this is how, how Mary and Martha felt. We asked you to come while Lazarus was still alive. We wanted you to come and fix this. And maybe you felt that way. You go through something really difficult. You go through something really tragic, heartbreaking, and, and someone says to you, maybe it's at the funeral home, maybe it's at church, maybe they come into your home. And with all the sincerity and love and compassion, they say something like, listen, God will get you through this really tough time. Jesus is here to comfort you in your pain. And there's something inside of you that just wants to say, that's nice. Why didn't he show up when I, when I prayed and asked him to fix this? Mary and Martha kind of felt that way. I'm sure they were glad that Jesus was there to comfort them. That's not what they asked for. That's not what they wanted originally. They didn't understand why Jesus didn't just come four or five days ago and just fix the problem. You go back to verse 20 with me. Look, they, Martha expresses this to Jesus first. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she doesn't come out and, and greet Jesus with, thank you so much for coming to offer your condolences. Thanks so much for coming to comfort us in our time of need. We're just so thankful that you're here to offer, you know, a hug and, and a sorry for your loss. Thanks. No, her, 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 her words to Jesus are, Lord, you, you could have fixed this, but you didn't. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've ever had those thoughts. Lord, you're the only one that could have fixed this. And I've seen you answer prayer for other people. I thought you cared about me. I, I've been serving you faithfully for years. This person that I've been praying for, they love you with all their heart. They're a strong believer. I don't get it, Lord. 
If you would have just showed up, if you would have listened, if you would have stepped in, if you would have intervened, you could have stopped this from happening. Will you still believe when God doesn't do what you want? Did Martha? Back to verse 20. 21, his Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to verse 22. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Her response in verse 27 is incredible. Yes. Yes, Lord. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. This exchange between Martha and Jesus is incredible. It's such a vivid picture of this point in our lives where you and I have to make a decision about whether or not we really believe Jesus is who he says he is. I love verse 22. It's such an incredible exchange because in that verse, when when Jesus says to her, he's going to rise again, and and, and she, she says to him first, uh, you, you, you can still fix this. You weren't here, but you can still fix this. She believes he has the power to raise him from the dead. And then Jesus says he's going to rise again. But she doesn't take what he says as to, to, to mean that he's going to go over and raise Lazarus from the dead. That's not how she interprets what Jesus is saying to her. Martha takes it to mean yeah, you could, you could raise him from the dead, but she took it to mean that, that Jesus was just offering comfort to her about what, what's going to happen someday in the future. At the resurrection for believers when Jesus comes back. And I don't want you to miss this, it's really important. Uh, Martha is saying, Lord, even if even, even though you didn't do what we wanted you to do, I still believe. I still believe you're the Christ. I still believe you're in control. I still believe that you're good. Verse 28. She says, yes, Lord, in verse 27, I still believe. And then she returned to Mary and And uh, she called Mary aside from the mourners there in the house, and she told her, the teacher's here, Jesus is here, and he wants to see you. And so Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha had met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave, so hastily they assumed that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and she saw Jesus, what did she do? She fell at his feet. Now, it's interesting. She says the exact same thing. Lord, 
If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Same exact phrase. You can only imagine the conversation between Mary and Martha over the last several days. Jesus, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. You might have the phrase that he was deeply moved in his spirit. You know, I've often wondered when I read this part of the story of what kind of emotion is being described here. Some, some uh, translate it deeply moved in spirit, and some translate it into this emotion of, of anger. And it's, you go and you read different Bible scholars, and they're kind of all over the place of what he was upset about, what he was deeply moved about, and there's speculation over you know, why such a strong emotion in that moment. Was he angry with, with the people that were uh, questioning him? Was, was he deeply moved by just uh, what, what sin and death does to people? doesn't tell us. We just know that there's this deep emotion in this moment. And it reveals to us the reality of not only is Jesus God, not only is He fully divine, but he, His humanity is real. He experiences hurt and, and, and sorrow and loss in ways like you and I do. Jesus saw her weeping. He saw the other people wailing with her. This deep anger welled up within him, and he, he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. The people were standing nearby and said, see how much he loved him? There's other people saying, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Verse 38, Jesus still angry when he arrived at the tomb, and he came, and we'll get to the rest of the story in just a moment, but what was he upset about? What was he deeply uh, moved over? Was it the comments that were being made? Was it, was it uh, lack of, of, of uh, faith? What was it? It doesn't say, but we know this. We know that he was moved in spirit and that he wept, and he, was, he had compassion and love for Mary and for Martha and those who were, who were experiencing the sorrow and loss. And I want you to notice that whatever that emotion was, Jesus did not respond to them with a reprimand. Jesus didn't respond with, how dare you question me? I think that's significant to understand. That out of his compassion and his love, knowing full well what he's about to do, that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, Spoiler alert for those of you who have never read the story. He comes back to life. He still felt that pain. He still felt the sorrow and loss of their grief. And I, and I, I, I hang out on that point just to make it clear that your pain, my pain, matters to Jesus. Jesus is not detached from emotion. And you need to understand, he knows the end of the story. He knows where this is headed for you and for me. He knows that the resurrection of believers is coming one day when he comes back. He knows that eternity with God is, is something that is coming for believers that will be in his presence forever. 
He knows that death is temporary. He knows that heaven is forever. He knows that heaven, on the other side of death, that heaven is the place where we're finally free from sin and death and sickness and pain and sorrow and tears. He knows that heaven is incomparably better than this broken world. And yet Jesus feels the weight of our sadness. He cares, and He wants to comfort us in our sorrow. And the question we've got to wrestle with is, do we believe that? Will we still believe that Jesus cares, that God still loves us, even when He doesn't do what we want? Look what happens next. Verse 38, Jesus, still angry, still has these strong emotions as He arrived at the tomb there's this cave, there's a stone rolled across his entrance, and he says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. And Martha speaks up, the dead man's sister speaks up and protests, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Just pause, who's he talking to? He's not talking to Mary and Martha and the mourners because he didn't say that to them. He's talking to his disciples. You go back and you look at verse 4. Remember what he said in verse 4? Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of Man will receive glory from this. In verse 15, talking again to his disciples, he says to them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. He wants his disciples to see that he is in control. And he is. Look at verse 41. They rolled the stone aside. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of those, for all those people standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. And Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Jesus is in control. Jesus wasn't caught off guard by this, this situation. He was never uncertain about his plan, about what he wanted to do or what he intended to do. He didn't panic. He never does. He, he doesn't get thrown off by our uncertainty. He doesn't get thrown off by our lack of understanding. No matter what is happening in, in our four days of pain and grief and, and misery and uncertainty, we can believe that Jesus is in control, that He's very certain of what He intends to do in our four days of pain. I think that's the tension, though. I think it's the tension point in our faith that causes us to have to wrestle with these kind of questions. The tension point is this. You and I, we want to be in control. We want life to bend to our will. 
We want God to do what we want Him to do. We want Him to do whatever we ask. Like, Lord, I said the magic formula in Jesus' name, so like, I think you got to do what I told you I wanted you to do. But that tension point in our faith is felt when you and I realize in, the, in that moment when we finally realize, no, we're not in control. Now there's tension. We want to be, but we're not. Maybe that's the whole point of the four-day seasons in our lives. To teach us that we're not in control. To teach us that God is the one who's in control. Maybe the four-day seasons of our lives teach us how to answer the question, will I still believe when God doesn't do what I want? Will I still believe that God loves me? Will I still believe that God is kind? Will I still believe that God is good? Will I still believe that, God ha- that Jesus has an intentional plan that He's going to unfold through my pain? There's a lot of really great songs that have come out of people's pain in life. A lot of good Christian songs. One of my favorites is the song Blessings by Laura Story. And that particular song um, came out of a a season of life in, in Laura's life that was really, really hard. Her husband had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they were praying that God would bring healing and and that God would do certain things along the way, and God wasn't answering their prayers the way they wanted Him to. And, and so, Laura, if you, you can look it up on, on YouTube, she tells this story. She, she talks about how she wrestled. They wrestled with this question. Do we still believe in God's blessings even when God doesn't do what we want? And that's where that song came from. She began, she says, she began to see blessings in a different way. And so she asked these kinds of questions in the song. What if, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if, what if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know that you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst that this world can't satisfy? That's powerful. What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? Will we still believe when God doesn't do what we want? Jesus asked that question thousands of years ago, and yet it still echoes into our modern world. It still reverberates into our our, our four-day seasons of life. Do you believe? Now, you would think 
that after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the answer to that question would be, yeah, everybody believes, right? That's what you would assume is, is about to happen. But look what happens in verse 45. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Now, notice the word many. It doesn't say all. It doesn't say everyone. It says many. Verse 46, but some, so they're not part of the many, right? You get where we're going? But some, there were some others that went to the Pharisees, told them what Jesus had done, and the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. And what's going to happen next? You hear what Jesus did? He raised Lazarus from the dead. We, we need to reevaluate what we, what we think and what we believe about Jesus, right? That's what you would expect. Nope. This is what they say. What are we going to do? This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And we can't have that. What? Why? Well, the why is in the next sentence. Then the, ar the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. There's your why. Jesus just raised a dead man, like four days, stenchy corpse, dead man from the grave. And yet some did not believe. You know why they didn't want to believe? Because they didn't want to lose control. They didn't want to give up control. If you want to be able to answer the question, will I believe? Will I still believe when God doesn't do what I want? If you want to be able to answer that question like Martha did when she said, yes, I still believe then you have to be willing to give up the illusion that you are in control. And you have to believe that God is in control. You have to first believe that Jesus is in control over what's on the other side of this life. You have to first believe that the, the reason that Jesus died on the cross was to offer His sinless, perfect body, His sinless life, as a substitute sacrifice for our sin. You have to first believe that Jesus earned the powerful right to forgive sin on the cross. He proved his, his victory over sin and death when he rose from the dead. Do you believe this? If you believe this, then you can believe that Jesus is truly in control, especially on the four-day seasons of our lives when you and I are made painfully aware that we are not in control. Jesus asked the question, do you believe this? And here's my challenge. Before you leave, take it with you. Do you believe this? Well, let go of your desire for control and find out. Lord, thanks so much. 